You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Bass is thumping, I am psyched, and wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we are grateful that you tuned in to DLC, your downloadable conversation for the week. DLC delivered the way it's meant to be, and that's completely free, thanks to our sponsors. Three new sponsors this week, Audible, Read Retro, and Backblaze. They made that possible, bringing DLC to you completely free of charge. DLC, of course, the show all about gaming in its many forms, games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I am your host, Jeff Tuens, one t Kanata, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis, the guy whose gens are always next, his scans are always progressive, and his y-axis is always inverted, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hey, hey, Jeff. Happy to be here. This is going to, I'm excited. This is going to be a fun, fun episode. I can feel it. I can too. I'm, I'm feeling the juice. It was a big week of news. We've got really fun games to talk about because it's the fall season. And even better than that, we have an awesome guest. Uh, DLC is, is always your downloadable Kanata, your downloadable Christian. But this week, DLC stands for DLC Loves Canada because we've got Toronto's wayward son, Joystick's own and friend of our show, Mr. Zav D'Amatos. Zav, welcome back. Oh, it is so nice to be back, guys. Thank you very much for having me once again. And yes, I am Canadian, but I live in Los Angeles, so I think that cancels everything out. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Did you guys like my recursive acronym there? That's an acronym that has itself inside it. You don't need to define what recursive is, Jeff. I totally didn't know what that was until you defined it. Don't give us knowledge. (laughs) <laughs> I'm particularly excited because as knowledgeable as Zav is on all things video game, because he's been working in the industry for countless years and uh, does fantastic stuff on Joystick that I read all the time. He's also mainlining board games oh, lately, so I'm super excited when we get to tabletop time to talk about that with you. Tap it to my veins. Definitely have a board game fix going on. Love it. So we got tons to talk about. Let's start with the news with Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week, of course, the part of the show where we try to convince one another of the most important stories that happened in the world of gaming this week. It's going to be a tough one because there's some big stories. This is also the part of the show that you can submit stories for our consideration by using our hashtag, and that is DLCSOTW, which stands for DLC Story of the Week, and also by using our subreddit over at reddit.com slash r slash 5x5DLC. Lots of great submissions there. All week long, you're able to do that. Zab, as our guest, what is your favorite story that happened this week? 
It is absolutely no competition. BlizzCon just wrapped up, and Blizzard announced the first new IP that they've released in 17 years, and that game is Overwatch, a uh, first-person team-based shooter that they not only announced at BlizzCon, but then they had 600 computers set up for people to play it at BlizzCon, and it just looks a ton of it looks like a ton of fun. Uh, it's you got some Team Fortress in there. It has some really cool abilities for each one of the characters, playable characters in the game as well. I think it looks really fantastic. Beta's coming out in 2015. This is so unlike Blizzard to announce a game and then not say we'll see you in 10 years when you can actually play it. It's, <laughs> right. Uh, it's not a when huge. it's done. It's a. Uh, it's a. Uh, it's almost done. Yeah. And there's yeah. been some. There's been some talk that it. This was. Um, this ter- Titan, their MMO that they had been working on, had turned into this particular game. There's sort of still up in the air if that's the case. Either way, I think it looks really fantastic. Overwatch. Yeah, the uh, all the all the hype leading up to this year's BlizzCon that I heard was this is the year you got to be there. This is the year you got to be there. And of course, this is the one year in I think ever that I haven't been to BlizzCon, and it kills me. But I <laughs> I had a good excuse. But it, the uh, the way that they unveiled Overwatch was pretty interesting. They, you know, at the big opening ceremony keynote address, they showed what, for all intents and purposes, is a really charming Pixar-esque animated short about these two kids going into a museum to uh, look at the history of this this Overwatch, which is this this superhero organization that saved the world years ago and has sort of become the the police force for the for the for earth this is an earth uh, unlike every other blizzard game this actually takes place on earth um and then not only do we get this cgi trailer which is how most games are announced and i kind of thought oh that's all we're gonna get this time oh no 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 we got gameplay we got hey as you said 600 computers where you can go play it yourself we got it's coming soon this is a game that is ripe and ready so my only gripe, and I'm curious what you guys think, uh, it comes on the heels of hearing Titan is officially canned. And hearing what Titan was is was such an ambitious game that it almost detracts a little bit from, from this game because this feels so much smaller in scale and scope than what World of Warcraft is and what Titan sounded like it was going to be. Uh, that for all the really awesome stuff that you see in the IP in the, in the world that they've created here. I wish it was just a little bit more than, than an arena shooter. What do you guys think? Yeah. I mean, I understand that, but I don't think the two are necessarily related, right? It's not as if overwatch, I mean, this is just based totally on nothing, but I don't think overwatch is the reason that uh, Titan was canceled. And I think, no, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying it's the reason. Well, no, no. But I mean, like, I guess what I'm trying to say is how would you feel if Titan was still coming, you know, TBD, whatever, no announcement, it wasn't officially canceled, and then they released Overwatch, would you be like, this is amazing? Like, the fact that Titan is canceled, I don't think should sour your excitement for Overwatch. And I think Overwatch represents largely what Blizzard is and has become over the last, I mean, what, this is their first new IP in 17 years or whatever you said? Um I mean, that's kind of what they've become. Like Hearthstone, these games are are easy to get into, but complex if you stick around. And they haven't built a game like World of Warcraft 
in, you know, years. So I don't think that we should be any less excited for what quote unquote new Blizzard is making because they're not making WoW anymore. New WoW. And I think that if you look at just the way that the industry has trended, when Titan was in the full swing of being developed, everyone was chasing World of Warcraft. Everyone was making an MMO because they wanted to get those 12 million plus subscribers that were, you know, tied to that universe that people really, really loved MMOs. And the industry has changed so much that not even Blizzard is doing that anymore. They're jumping on the bandwagon with MOBAs. I mean, everyone is now creating a MOBA. That's where the industry has trended. And I think what they've identified since they already have a MOBA in, in the, in the wild there is Another part of the industry that is doing very well, which is a game like Team Fortress, which sort of has a similar aesthetic buy-in that you can do. You can purchase things for Team Fortress. It is a free-to-play game. We don't know whether or not uh, Overwatch will be a free-to-play game, but it it does bring Blizzard into a new genre, and it's not chasing its own tail. Because if you they were to release Titan, the question always was, well, what happens to World of Warcraft? Did you still commit to that universe. Mm -hmm. So this allows them to sort of branch out and to create something different. And they have a really good track record of taking a pretty simple idea or simple genre and making it very unique to themselves. Like Hearthstone is a very unique Blizzard game, and it has a lot of hooks in with that universe, with their universes. So I I think it's interesting. I... There were a lot of detractors when it was announced said, well, it's just Team Fortress. Well, you know, maybe some people will feel that way. We, I have not played it. And from what I hear at BlizzCon, it was very fun to play. So I don't know that I'm disappointed in Overwatch. I'm not disappointed in what we didn't get, but I think I could be pretty excited about we, what we are getting with Overwatch. Well, in the chat room, uh, Lawman has some pretty strong words. Uh, one of the things he said is... Uh, if anybody other than Blizzard released this, wouldn't it be like, okay, another shooter with guns? Um, I think that you make the more salient point, Zav, in that referencing both Team Fortress and MOBAs, because even though they are making Heroes of the Storm, I think that this game, Overwatch, is really influenced by MOBAs. As much as it is by shooters, it really seems that you know they're they're stressing the fact that these aren't classes that you're playing. You're not you're not able to customize your class. This is you're selecting a hero, and these are many, many, many heroes that, of which they showed a small fraction of what will eventually be in the game. And each hero, I think the stress is that, will play wildly different from the other heroes. And that's certainly how Heroes of the Storm feels. That, And, and that's kind of the MOBA template, right, is to create these wildly different uh, play styles based on the hero that you select. And I think Heroes of the Storm emphasizes that even more than League of Legends and Dota do because it's it's independent of uh, item equipment. You know, it's it's really these heroes are different and they have specific play styles that are unique to them. And I think that might be the differentiator here. As much as I'm sort of unexcited to jump into an arena shooter again, I feel like so, first of all, the universe itself is so wonderfully designed. I think it's colorful. It's interesting. You know, how many times you get to play a giant ape that's super evolved and highly intelligent. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all these characters seem really well designed and rich. But also, I think the gameplay is is probably going to feel very different than Call of Duty or even Team Fortress. I think it will have its own unique feel to it. So I'm excited mm-hmm. to try it as much as I am disappointed that blizzard seems less inclined to bite off these bigger games anymore that they're they're happier to create multiplayer focused 
kind of smaller experiences that are deep and long lasting, but not those, you know, enormous, expensive kind of universe, wide universe games that that other companies are making. Well, I don't know if you can say that. And if you look at the production values just associated with their announcement, uh, Lawman in the chat was saying, well, if anyone else uh, revealed this game, would people care as much about it? If they had that trailer, if they had that Pixar looking trailer and they had that gameplay that they showed off, absolutely, I think people would care about it. It's not Blizzard that is selling this. It is the way that it looks and the way that it looks like it plays that is selling this game. Of course, it got much traction. Blizzard has a good reputation. But Blizzard has no reputation for a shooter. That's true. I mean, it was any other company and they had those production values, if they have those games, then maybe then I think that people would respond to it. Not just as well, because obviously Blizzard has much, uh, a much larger voice in the industry, uh, especially at an event like that. But I think that, you know, people are excited about what it looks like and the potential that's there. And I don't think you can look at something like Team Fortress 2 and say, well, that's not as big a game as something like you know, Call of Duty. There's a lot of production that goes into that. And yes, there's no big single player where the world is exploding around your feet, but there are a, there is a huge community and there is a lot of people who are um, sort of enamored with making content for those games with like maps and, and other things like that. So I think that, that it has the potential to be their team fortress, which I think is a good thing because there's nothing like team fortress right now. Yeah. Other than team fortress, I guess. Yeah. Um, Christian, you were going to say, Oh, yeah, I mean, I've kind of hit on it, but I I think um, to some extent I agree and disagree with what he said, but more so with what Lawman was saying, like, I think that Blizzard does have their name making it, that they're the ones making it does carry a lot of weight. It's like any other time a a big team makes a new game, it's like, oh, this is the game from X. Oh, these are the guys that made Burnout. This is the X Criterion team. Oh, this is the team that made Time Splitters. Now they're doing this. Oh, this is from, you know, these, these guys did um, Rocksteady, and now they're doing Batman. And, and, and like that carries weight, and, and Blizzard hasn't really had a miss. So when they make a new game, even if it's a new genre, yeah, people are going to be more excited about it than, hey, guys, we're an upstart company, you know, in Germany or in North Carolina, and we're making this rad shooter i think people would rightfully so be more cautious about going into it but when it's a company that has all these hits 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 it's like oh taylor swift's new album is coming out it's gonna sell 1.2 million you know it's just like it has the pedigree to be huge and i think that's why people were more willing to buy in than just yawn another shooter blizzard is the taylor swift of video games christian spicer direct quote direct quote Mm -hmm. christian spicer neither Um, on spotify i think i think that what I take from this, the over, not to use over in an Overwatch analogy, but the uh, the overarching sentiment that I'm taking from this is we've we've gone through a decade of having games get more and more customizable, more and more and more about what you want, more about making the character closer to you. Uh, you know, seen in games like even as recently as Sunset Overdrive, right? It's all about expression, personal expression, be who you want to be, uh, you know, make your loadout in call of duty, how you want it to be. And I think the MOBA revolution is really expressing itself in, and, and Blizzard is so brilliant to pick up on this, that what the strength of the blizzard name at this point, it has everything to do with these characters. And they, I think, 
see themselves more like a Pixar, more like a Disney, more like a Nintendo who can create a stable of universes, of characters, of narrative that people will attach themselves to that that is really what will make you money is but people investing in your characters and wanting to live in those universes and as much as we've had you know this personal expression idea come to fruition i think you know seeing them pull all these characters into heroes of the storm now overwatch really the thing I'm most excited about with Overwatch is how all these characters are now going to be in Heroes of the Storm and having and even having their own convention at all, I think, with, you know, their emphasis on cosplay, et cetera, is just a, a reinforcement of build IP, building out stories and narratives and characters that will galvanize a community more than, oh, I got a new hat for my for my, you know, character that I've made to look as much like me as possible. Mm-hmm. Is there anything to that? What do you think, Zav? Well, I mean, the thing that I really appreciate about games like MOBAs is they sort of taken the, the idea of the fighting game culture and created heroes around that. So if you if you talk to people who like fighting games, they have their main characters, the ones that they right. dedicate their time to. They know everything about. And those are the characters that they focus their attention on. And MOBAs, there's a lot of that, too. Now, in shooters, you have the customization where you can create your own character. But there is a lot to be said about a game that has very identifiable characters that you learn all of their mannerisms and learn all of their skills and then make that character uniquely yours in the way that you play as that character. And I think yeah. that game like Team Fortress 2, it has taken something like there everyone, every game, you know, a lot of games have the medic class or the soldier class, but this is the medic class, but it's that specific medic that has, a, you know, a backstory and is, you know, yeah. you're, you're entertained by that character. And that's what I think the potential is here. There are characters that will play like classes, but you are going to main those characters. They're going to be your sub- subclass characters, your alts that you're going to love, but there are going to be characters that you focus your attention on. And that is creating that culture of a fighting game in a shooter that you very rarely see because it also includes the personality of who these characters are. And that's what I like about having identifiable named characters that have a potential backstory. And they had videos for all of the characters that they announced. I mean, you know what these characters are, who they are. And I think that's very entertaining. One of the things about Destiny that I don't like is that there's no identifiable main character. Uh, You know, with Halo, there is the Master Chief. And everyone can identify that specific character, and it gives sort of a life and a backstory to this universe through the eyes of this character. Destiny doesn't have that. And I think when games add, or they're not scared to just say, like, here is who you can pick from, and you don't get to make these crazy choices, it gives me it gives me more weight because there is a identifiable character and backstory to those people. And I, and I appreciate that through games like this sometimes. Yeah, I think you make a good point about the about fighting games uh it certainly has is a throwback to that kind of culture you know i'm a chun li guy i'm a ryu guy i'm a you know whatever uh voldo uh christian do you have anything to add or should we move on to the next topic i'm ready to move on i mean i think we will we'll be adding more about this as the game gets closer and closer to release yeah, that certainly was by no means the end of the news from BlizzCon. We got a ton of of new information about all of their different franchises. Uh, it's certainly over uh, Overwatch certainly overwhelmed the news because it was such a a big new part of it. But uh, as somebody who is an admitted Blizzard fanboy and loves really every franchise they've put out so far, I was thrilled with some of the other news. We got a 
a new StarCraft that will be a, an expansion and a standalone game. Uh, it's called StarCraft Legacy of the Void, which is going to add a new mode that allows you to have two players playing cooperatively, uh, facing off another two players doing the same thing, which sounds really interesting and a, a wonderful innovation, I think, to the, let's face it, waning um, real-time strategy genre. Uh, that was pretty exciting. We got a whole, whole bunch of new Heroes of the Storm announcements with new characters, a full-on draft mode that seemed inevitable, I think, to anybody that knows the MOBA space. If they want to compete in that uh, eSports arena, that was it was going to happen. But um, an emphasis on continuing to include new battlegrounds and keeping those maps fresh. That's really exciting. And the fact that they're bringing a whole bunch more people in starting as early as January 13th next year. Here's the Storm is going closed beta. So they're bringing in lots of new players. And and that's exciting as somebody who loves that game. Really cool information about uh, Diablo as well. And we've got that upcoming WoW expansion that they're talking about. So lots of lots of stuff happening at BlizzCon. Um, uh, oh, with a new expansion for Hearthstone as well. The Goblins versus Gnomes. Uh, that All of that stuff is super cool but even cooler than that I want to point out my maybe my favorite thing of all from BlizzCon uh is what Mike Morheim said to start the keynote the head of Blizzard uh and how he addressed head on the the sort of crappy gamer culture that has uh been surfacing over the last several months and saying, you know what, we're Blizzard. We're going to talk about it directly. I know there are many companies who have a mandate not to speak of it at all for fear of pissing off one side or the other. And to have a company of the size and clout of Blizzard come out and say, hey, let's make gaming about being good to one another and uh, inclusiveness. I think that was really classy and super cool. So I just wanted to sort of cover all that stuff because I have a feeling Mr. Christian Spicer, your story of the week is going to have nothing to do with Blizzard. Well, it could have, but you you hit on so much. I do think that I want to hit on something other than Blizzard, so I will take this time, this opportunity, um, because I'm curious to get your guys' opinions on um, the announced variety had the exclusive. Now it's everywhere. Um, But friend of games... The, the gaming ambassador for many people in terms of the mainstream press and media, Mr. Jeff Keeley, um, is launching the Video Game Awards, which is breaking off from Spike and VGX or whatever that had become. And it's going to be in Vegas. It's December 5th. It's got backing of, you know, the major console makers and other publishers doing this thing. And, I'm curious to know when you guys heard this news, is this something that you're excited about or is it something that you're kind of like, eh, or somewhere totally different? Zav, take it. Uh, well, I think it's an interesting thing. Listen, I, I, I think I have done the live stream on joystick.com whenever we watch the Spike Video Game Awards and we sort of just poke fun at the thing. I mean, it, it is sort of built to be a, a marketing machine. No one's going to deny that. Uh, but there's great reveals. We've we've seen brand new games be announced there, and I think that that's really fun and interesting. And it puts the culture in a good spotlight on television, at least it had in the past. Um, I think that when it comes to uh, an award show, I mean, every website has their own. You guys are going to have your own Game of the Year awards. We're going to have our Game of the Year awards at Joystick. Every website does it. So there's never going to be a consensus. It's not like the Academy Awards, and I don't know exactly what they're trying to go for. Not too many details have been released about 
you know, the backing in terms of the companies that are to go and make those reveals or how people are going to be able to, to watch this stuff go on. I think it's an interesting idea getting away from Spike's culture of like, you know, Mountain Dew and Doritos, um, that sort of idea of what gamer culture is in, in a huge marketing and hype machine is going to be nice and sort of just get back to games. Listen, like Jeff Do you mentioned think that earlier. Will happen, though, Zav? I, I'm afraid that this is going to just be the same thing. And again, I don't know anything other than what's out uh, on Variety or people can read online. But I wonder if this is Spike was like, hey, we took this off of TV last year because um, it hasn't been a great ratings boom for us. It was online. It did okay. We, we fine, whatever. And I wonder if this was their decision, not Jeff's. And I, I just wonder how different this is going to be. And it's like games will be voted on by fans and the industry. Great. Awesome. I really want fans impact. Like, I don't know. And I also, going to your point about isn't it going to be the Academy Awards, like, why couldn't gaming have something like that that's great and awesome? Because every movie website has their own film of the year, but it doesn't take away from, you know, who wins an Oscar. So the fact that every site does their own, I don't know how that changes having a real nice event and not a woo games yeah event. well there's a collective and the academy has been going on for many years beyond gaming right oh, i mean sure. video you know there there's a culture behind that and it could very well turn into that in years from now and there are major video game awards there's gdc awards there's the dice awards igda does their own awards as well and those things are in held in high uh, esteem um i i never watched those awards to find out who won like i do the oscars you know what I mean? I don't watch. Yeah. The, I watch the Oscars to figure out like, hey, did the movie I enjoy win the award? And maybe that's because I'm not in the movie industry, but I don't watch Spike's Awards or any other awards to find out, you know, who won. But I, I want to hear people talk about the team that made the game and and thank the people associated with it. And for Spike specifically, I watch it to see what's revealed and announced. So people will get that information through Joystick. So I don't know. It's difficult to say. It's difficult to respond onto how this is going to work out since it was just literally announced. We'll probably sure. have to watch it before we can really respond to it. Uh, I think it's going in a better direction because last year's awards were really awkward. Uh, it was it was kind of difficult to watch in spots. Uh, they were going for a specific feel that I don't think worked very well. I appreciate them at least trying and not just shoveling the same thing again and again at us. But I think that it's a good idea to sort of give it its own breathing room away from Spike in that culture. They have a very specific kind of culture they're going for over there. Um, so, you know, games are much more than the channel where there's explosions or cops reruns. You know what I mean? So there are really interesting and dramatic and delicate games. And you don't see a lot of those get highlighted in a show or on a channel that has like i said cops reruns it's it's always about the big star the big explosion think about how many times you know troy baker or nolan north was announced for best voice actor and they gave it to some actor who's an actual actor who they could put on stage kevin spacey confirmed yeah yeah. you know what i mean so i i think that it's it's a step in the right direction hopefully uh if and i again we don't know if this is jeff and his people have more control over it than other people uh, if it's marketing driven, we don't know that either. So I'm interested in into seeing what's going to happen with it. That's for sure. Jeff, what's uh, I, your your gut? Yeah, I am. I'm interested as well, and I, and I share Zav's hopeful feeling that that it will be closer to what I think all of us are hoping for in a in a games awards show. I suspect, however, that uh, it 
it really is much more about planting a flag in a day or a time of year that can be used as another E3, (laughs) that can be used as a place where all the eyeballs of this community are focused on one spot and companies can debut trailers for new things, which is sort of what's happened in recent years. And the awards are just an excuse to do that. And uh, knowing Jeff as I do, uh, I know he is he gets excited about that kind of stuff and and really aims to create a, a, an experience for gamers when they watch that those awards shows where they get uh, exciting news of new things, which is which is cool and that is really fun. I mean, seeing the No Man's Sky trailer debut at last year's awards was an amazing moment. Um, so I, mean, I just I think that's what's more going to be about. Isn't looking for like a summer E three, like summer Christmas or whatever you want to call it, or winter Christmas, winter E three, <laughs> summer Christmas. Um, I mean, but when E three comes around, people talk about how E three is dying because companies can make these announcements and reveals themselves. So what's the point of having a big hubbubaloo? And now because the companies are getting together to have another big event so they can make these reveals and announcements. I, I mean, I. I think it is <laughs> It is my pessimism just like really taking hold and like I really want to be excited to think this is going to be something great, but I just don't have any faith that it's going to be awesome. And I, <laughs> I really want to be wrong, but I just, my well, eyes can't stop rolling. History is on your side. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, history has proven that these things don't typically turn out very well. Um it's funny. There is that idea of, well, you can announce a game at any point and put marketing money behind it and make it as big as E3. But people who, you know, looking at our, how we do at E3 and how well people respond to that coverage, it is the biggest show in North America, regardless of if you were to spend millions and millions of dollars. Halo Fest is tonight in Los Angeles. And I think people don't know about it the way that they would know about E3 because there is such a fury behind it. Uh, And people make huge announcements and there's proclamations and you get major media showing up to stuff like that, too, because that is, again, absorbed into the culture. That is the culture of now. And it's not as big or an important show as Gamescom, for example. I think Gamescom is a bigger and more important show in the industry now. But in North America, E3 is king. And there think about it this way it's it, it's going to be an hour long or 2 hour long uh, show where they're going to give away some awards but most people are going to be there to see the reveals and that's the important bit to it i don't think that it's called the game awards but people are just going to be like, okay, did they pick the game that I like? They didn't. Okay, they're making a mistake. That's going to be the opinion, I think. And then it's going to be like, oh, this thing was announced. I'm excited about this, this, or that. And if that means that we get another Elder Scrolls game, because that's when they announced uh, Skyrim many, many years ago, I think, then mm. that's fine with me. Yeah, I mean, I, I, we can we can wrap up this topic. But I, I think that the gulf between it being what it is and it being the Oscars is that the Oscars realizes that it's not really about the movies. It's about the people. And when we get to a place where the creators of video games are what we care about, then I think the award show will be center stage. But right now it's the product that they make that we care about. And so it's the reveal of new product. That's, that's what gets people to tune in. Um, all right, so I uh, if I'm true to myself, my game of the, or my uh, story of the week 
is uh, BlizzCon. And I, I mean, I could literally just spend the next two hours diving deep into all of the Diablo 3 minutia that they revealed and Heroes of the Storm minutia that they revealed. But I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm going to highlight, uh, because, you know, Zav already talked about BlizzCon. Uh, I, instead, I'm going to highlight a, a different story, which, because the show is called DLC, and often, every show, I start with saying D- DLC the way it's meant to be, completely free, I have to applaud uh, my most anticipated game of at least the first half of next year, Witcher 3, Wild mm-hmm. Hunt. Man, they threw the gauntlet down last week saying that, hey, guess what? We're going to have 16 DLC packs. Every single one of them is going to be free. You don't have to pre-order the game to get them. You don't have to buy it from a specific retailer to get specific pieces. It's all going to come out in a very fast fashion, regular releases. And it's no charge, free of charge. And uh, it was really cool. The the uh, Project Red uh, CEO, whose name... I will probably destroy if I try it. Uh, basically, threw down the gauntlet and said, "Hey, this is this. You know, you paid enough for, for your games. We shouldn't nickel and dime you on DLC." I think that's bold. I think that's really cool and uh, a really uh, a wonderful way to do business. And I hope that they maintain the schedule that they've set out, which is pretty. Um, so I, I definitely wanted to highlight that and make you know another reason to support this. This franchise that that I have loved for a long time. Zav, are you uh, are you digging on the DLC pack announcement? Absolutely. And Witcher Two was my game of the year the year it released on PC. I think yeah. Assassins of Kings was probably the best RPG that I've played in years. Um, and I'm considering like Mass Effect Two in that bunch. Like I love Mass Effect Two, but Witcher Two I thought was an amazing game. Uh, you know, it's great. There's not a lot of companies that are doing this. You had Criterion do this with uh, Paradise many many moons ago. And then that company was sort of whittled down, and I think there's four people working on one thing over there now at EA. Uh, but it's great to see a company who has had s- such a very like friendly culture associated with things like a DRM, of course. Yeah. CD Projekt owns good old games, or I guess they're just called GOG now, GOG.com. Uh, totally DRM-free stuff that they sell there. And this is, this is an amazing thing, 16 DLC packs. And the thing that I love about it is... If you play a game like Mass Effect 2 or the Mass Effect series and you don't buy the DLC, you feel like you're missing a part of the universe. You're missing pieces of that game. Uh, If you don't go out and spend extra money, you haven't experienced all that's available to you. And in a game where the universe is the crutch, I think that giving it away to people so they actually experience all that stuff in the way that they want and the timing that they want is fantastic. And I wish more companies would do it. I just don't know how this is going to work when SS, uh, when um, the uh, Witcher 3 comes out on console. Mm, yeah, interesting. Now, this is specific news for the PC, but for PS4 and the Xbox One, I don't know that that's going to be the same case because they don't really have the their own power to make that decision. I thought right. I read that it was across consoles too, but I... I uh... I'm trying if that to find is that the case, I can't find it that right is now. amazing. Well, his, his his exact quote says is uh, says, um, "Cutting to the chase, everyone who buys Wild Hunt will receive 16 specifically prepared DLCs, absolutely for free, regardless of platform." So oh, that's perfect. That sounds like confirmation that it doesn't matter what you buy it on. So that's pretty cool. Um, in fact, uh, OMG Lasers in the 
chat room says, uh, I wasn't that interested in Witcher 3 until I read this. So that's, you know, goodwill goes a long way, I think, to the, to the fan base. Pretty cool. Um, let's take a moment and pause and thank uh, our sponsors. I am overjoyed that Audible has finally sponsored our show. I've been trying uh, to get Audible sponsor uh, on the show for a while now because I love the service and I have a book on Audible that I want to tell you about. Uh, Audible, of course, the leading provider of spoken word entertainment information and educational programming on the internet. It it's a way to listen to audiobooks and I am such a massive fan of audiobooks. I love reading, but I also love listening to an audiobook when I go running or when I'm driving around in my car. It's the best way to consume that kind of content. It it actually motivates me to exercise because I make a deal with myself where I can't listen to the next chapter unless I'm exercising, so it'll actually motivate me. It's a great way to do that. And Audible is the best solution for digital audiobooks. Not only do they have more than 150,000 titles to choose from, fiction, all bestsellers, every category you can imagine. They have tons of exclusive content you can't get anywhere else, like the book that I read. Man, I hope people give this a shot. I know I've gotten such amazing feedback from people that have already tried Traveling in Space. It's by Stephen Paul Leva, and it's narrated by me. Jeff Kanata. That's pretty awesome. I was so proud to do this. It's um, If you guys are digging on Interstellar right now and, and loving science fiction stuff, this is a completely different take on sci-fi. It's a comedy. <laughs> it's actually got a lot to say that's serious and really cool science in it as well. But it's it's funny and it's it's actually a, a first contact novel. So it's it's human humans meeting aliens for the first time, but it's told from the perspective of the aliens. So it's all these aliens who are sort of the uh, next evolutionary step of humans. So they're all gorgeous and they all are super intelligent and factual and it, it's it's awesome. But it's how they see humans. It's called traveling in space. And guess what? We'll give it to you for free. If you try audible.com, we'll give you a 30-day free trial. You get a free book of your choice. I hope you select Traveling in Space. All you have to do is go to audiblepodcast.com slash DLC. That's audiblepodcast.com slash DLC. You can use it. You can put it on your iOS device, your Android, your Kindle Fire, your Windows Phone. Over 500 MP3 players support it. You'll have... Whisper Sync for voice, so you can switch back and forth between reading it if you want to actually read it uh, with your eyeballs and listening to it, so you never have to lose your place or miss a single word. And uh, immersion reading oh, on the Kindle File HD lets you read at the same time and highlights the, te- the text that you're reading along with the author. I've heard people that really enjoy doing that, so that you're actually reading and listening to it at the same time. There's functionality built into Audible to let you do it. It's awesome. It's got a sleep mode in case you fall asleep while you're listening. It's, it's got 30-second rewind in case you want to check something out. It's awesome, dudes. And my book, the book I read, I'm telling you, it's really fun. I'm super proud of it, and I really want people to give it a shot. If you haven't tried an audiobook, why not get the free one? Why not choose Traveling in Space? Audiblepodcast.com slash DLC. Check it out. They supported our show, and I'm so glad. I'm so, so glad. Okay. Guys, more news. Back to Story of the Week. There's some other big, big, big stuff that happened this week, including... 
this story submitted by uh, at Roman MF on the Twitters of the video showing the GTA 5 first person mode that is coming to the uh, next gen, well, current gen, I guess, and PC versions of GTA 5. It's very impressive. This is not just, hey, we stuck the camera inside the face of the little third-person <laughs> character walking around. No, no, no. They did some work, and it, it looks like a first-person shooter. It looks like a first-person game, and uh, it really looks like a different game to me. What did you think of this, Ev? Are you, are you interested in playing GTA V again from first-person? I think it's. I think it looks fantastic. I mean, the there have been a lot of mods for GTA Four on PC uh, to do things like this, to make the game looks, look as good as it does as an X gen game and to create first person mods. So it's, it's great that they've decided to put something like that in this game. Originally when the, this information leaked a long time ago, it was just the driving was going to be first person. Uh, But now it's the entire thing. You can play the entire game first person. Not only that, you can hit a button and then switch back to third person. And they've completely redone everything. All the animations, like you said, are different. They've uh, not, they've done more than just lower the camera. And I think that that would be a fun way to play this game. Um, I don't know that I want to play Trevor in first person. That would probably be, (laughs) that would blow my mind a little too much because that character is still very, very crazy. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to play it again specifically because I did the review for joystick. So I'm going to have to play this version so I can sort of do a comparison, but I'm pretty excited to try it out. It should be fun. And there's new stuff in this too. You should remember there's some, uh, Michael has some like undercover missions and there's a few other little things that have been added to the game as well. So I'm interested to see what other surprises are in GTA on current gen stuff. What about you, Christian? Are you a first person GTA enthusiast? No, not at all. Um, GTAs aren't for me. I applaud uh, Rockstar for doing a great remake, though. Um, I mean, the visuals we saw at E3 was pretty incredible, like the underwater scene and the forest and how much they've added to this game visually and adding a first-person mode. I think it makes it a really compelling purchase for people that were interested in the game but maybe missed it last gen because it was you know, towards the tail end of last gen or fans of the series. I think this gives them a reason to dive back in, and that's awesome. I love when developers take time to put in the work and make something a compelling purchase instead of just a lazy port, but the game is just not for me. Well, speaking of games that are getting a new version, uh, Nintendo announced in a Nintendo Direct this week that Majora's Mask, the long-rumored 3DS version, is happening. It's coming out uh, spring of next year. And it is, uh, they have uh, compa- uh, comparison videos showing the upgrading graphics, but there will also be new features, mysteriously unspecific new features that will include, uh, they will include in the new version. Uh, and Europe gets a crazy limited quantity special edition, which has all kinds of extra junk in there, including a pin badge, which everybody wants a pin badge, a double-sided poster, so you can put the poster on your wall and then turn it around and have a new poster on the other side on your wall, which I guess is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a blue steel book case. Do it. Uh, Majora's mask. You guys ready for three DS version of Majora's mask? The weird, weirdest of the legend of Zelda's, I would say. <laughs> I'm just waiting for an influx of people sending us their links to their live journal blog posts of all the theories of whether or not link is dead. And what the true meaning of everything is. Uh, This is where I'm going to get a lot of hate. I never enjoyed Majora's Mask. I always thought it was a lesser game. I never 
had any fun playing it. I was a kid when it came out, and maybe it just scared the hell out of me. But um, I don't know. It, just, it was never a game that struck with me. So I'm excited for people who are excited. That's for sure. But for yeah, me, I, I'll stick with I agree with you. Ones. It's low on my list of Zeldas. For sure. It's not a, not a top-tier Zelda for me, but I know people love it for its quirkiness. Um, you know, and, and this is certainly fan service. You know, Nintendo is is doing fan service here, so... Can no, I just say cool. that I love that it's called... Sorry, I keep interrupting you, Christian, but the thing that I love about it is it's called uh, The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask 3D, and it works on the 3DS or the 2DS. Yeah, that, so... <laughs> they, they to possibly specify. 3D. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I think that's the, my favorite part of this whole announcement is how messed up their naming <laughs> structure is for their consoles and how confusing Nintendo has been with their handhelds. It's ridiculous. I would say I think it's a, a great game. Uh, um, the thing that can, after they announced it, they said, and yes, we had been working on this game ever since we completed Ocarina 3DS. And it's like, holy crap, no wonder it takes Nintendo so long to make new games. It takes them like, Four years to make a 3DS port of a Nintendo 64 game. Like, why did it take so long? It's incredible, but I hopefully, <laughs> I mean, that's, oh man. But yay, right? That's great. That's great. I'd rather have a new Link's Awakening 2 or whatever you want to call it, whatever the next one. I don't, what would the next 3DS original Zelda game be? Would it be a direct sequel to uh, Ocarina of Time that's not? Majora's Mask, like, you know what I mean? They're kind of running into weird territory with how they did um, the first one, but it's great. I would love for them to to remember some of the franchises that they owned. Like, do they remember they own Metroid? Because <laughs> Maybe they it's forgot. been since 2004 oh, no. that was the last no, Metroid. That, you mean, they're you like, mean they're Met- playing- Metro 2033? That's not a Nintendo game. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's Deep Silver. Never mind. <laughs> they're playing uh, Super Smash Brothers, and they're like, who is this? <laughs> They forgot about her so much they put her in it twice. Because <laughs> it's, it's not, it's she, you know, you could play a Samus or you could play a Zero Suit Samus in that game. I don't, I, you know, I, I see that stuff and, and I agree with Christian. It takes them forever to make these games, but I'm just like, you know, it's been 2004 was the last, I think Zero Mission came out and that was the last 2D Metroid. We don't talk about other M, it doesn't exist. That right. game has it died to me a long time ago. That game is not good. Uh, but yeah, I missed that series. Let's do something with it. Well, do you miss the Tony Hawk pro skater series? Cause Activision is doing something with that, at least according to a tweet from Tony Hawk himself. He said that shred session, which was their announced mobile title is done, gone on hold indefinitely. Not going to happen, but guess what? Full on new console, um, Follow up, I guess, in the in the same vein as the old Tony Hawk Pro Skater games is in development, and and there was much rejoicing. I would assume Christian Spicer, you would be stoked about this. Um, I rollerblade, so first of all, you know what I mean. We're about to throw down. Let's get serious fight happening. We're fighting stoked. over who's going to skate three steps right now. I said um, stoked. That's that's talking your language, right? I you, you're stoked, and you're gonna gonna roll some gnarly. Curls? Is that? I don't. I don't know the. Is that? Hey, is there kick why do you have to? A, <laughs> why do you have to be snarky and internet hate, Jeff? Shouldn't we all love each other? Now I'm talking your language. <laughs> <laughs> I hope this game's great. I love great skating games. Uh, skate Two was my favorite of the Skate series. Tony Hawk Two was my favorite of the Tony Hawk series um tony hawk on the game boy advanced was awesome um ollie ollie while different 
is awesome. I like extreme sports games when done well. I don't know what they're going to do to make it awesome, but I hope they can. I, I don't think that Tony Hawk, I think Tony Hawk now is kind of like John Madden. Um, he's just like a name on the thing. Uh, but why not? Why not be excited about this? Why not? I am just as excited about this as I am excited about any other franchise I used to love getting a new game announced, i.e. meaning this game will probably never come out. <laughs> <laughs> I think that everyone at Activision was playing Sunset Overdrive and they're like, oh, people want Tony Hawk games again. Let's make one. <laughs> it's actually they just created Tony Hawk character in Sunset Overdrive and they're just <laughs> releasing it without the shooting element. <laughs> Or then, other than that, it's Tony Hawk called Bobby Kotick and reminded him he has those you know very revealing photos and that they should make another Tony Hawk game. I don't understand this at all. Really? Um, I don't. I, I've there has not been a good Tony Hawk game since the PS One era. I, you know, it's just like I don't understand. Skate was a great series. People really like Skate a lot, but. I just don't know that extreme games like that, extreme sports games do very well anymore. So it's surprising that they would do this. So if they what did if something like Ali Ali, which I thought was really fun, uh, then that would be cool. But if it's just another Tony Hawk, but now next gen, I mean, they, they kept making Tony Hawk games and they, no one were, was buying them. But what so, if it's Tony Hawk's life and after he retired from competitive skating, he joined the FBI? And they're solving <laughs> crimes. <laughs> yes. Then absolutely. And the only way you could solve crimes is by kick flipping your suspects. Maybe, maybe it's called Tony Hawk Advanced Skate Fair. Um. <laughs> I think it should be called Tony Hawk Medieval Skater. And he goes back in time and he has to skate his way through picking up, you know, through orcs and dragons and uh, attacking them with his a playable character. And I totally would buy that. <laughs> Clearly, this is why we don't own Activision. Um, <laughs> all right, that's going to do it for a Story of the Week. Let's talk about what we've been playing, all the things that are on our playlist. The playlist is the part of the show where we like to hear from you. You can call in and let us know what you've been playing, what's on your playlist by calling 512-518-5714. If you're listening to this on Mondays when we do the show, usually at 11 a.m. Pacific time, but this week was a little bit later. Uh, we got a bunch of people on the line who want to tell us what, and I want to hear what you guys have been playing. But first, we do have another sponsor, uh, and it's another new sponsor, and one Another one that I think is really, really cool. It's called Read Retro. Uh, this is a new magazine. Now, magazines, you say magazines? Are, is that what people used to read before there was internet? And I say to you, yes, when I was a child, there were these awesome things called video game magazines. And you didn't just have to buy, you know, get a card from a real, real retail store to get a magazine. You actually got a magazine because it had awesome content in it. And Read Retro is a throwback to that. Uh, they were kind enough to send us some issues of, of Read Retro. Or I guess it's just Retro is the name of the magazine. Uh, and it's it, this is the kind of magazine that makes me love magazines, honestly. It feels like those mags that we used to read when we were kids. It's all about video games, but it's not just, hey, we're going to review the latest thing. There is some of that. But there's also really cool articles. There are ta talking about games from the past, talking about games from the present, talking about what we want for the future. Uh, 
the RPG issue that I was reading had a full interview with Richard Garriott, who's, you know, the Ultima guy, really fascinating, talking about him going into space. There, uh, there are really cool features. It's a very high-quality-looking magazine. It's got, you know, gl- that glossy paper, great photos, and tons of really great content that just doesn't feel like fluff. It, it recognizes that when you want to read a magazine, you don't need 50 pictures and three sentences of text. You really do want to hear interesting information, not just screenshots that you can get on the internet. And if you are someone, you know, we used to have lots of people on, we can confirm, for example, who are like, you know, we just got into the gaming culture a few years ago, and I don't know a lot about what happened before. This is a great way to talk about, to read about, to learn about games that came before, you know, in the RPG issue, there's a whole article on Chrono Trigger. A lot of people don't know what, why we all hold Chrono Trigger as a, as a, uh, you know, a, a pillar of what RPGs were. That explains why it, it shows, it fills out that information for you. They've got a top 10 style feature. They've got the, the last page of every issue is a cartoon from Scott Johnson, friend of the show, Scott Johnson from Frog Pants. Uh, and, uh, his stuff is, is great. It always makes me laugh. It's always thoughtful. Uh, and I, I happen to love the old tradition of having a cartoon on the back page of a magazine. I'm glad they do that. They've got columns from top journalists, developers, video game personalities. Uh, they have, uh, Scott Sharkey, who I know all you guys know. Um, they have uh, Warren Davis who created Qbert. He did an article. Uh, They have game historian and author Martin Goldberg. They've got all kinds of stuff. This is really an ad for you to know about their Kickstarter because they're nearing their next stretch goal, which would add eight more pages to the magazine. And they want to help keep the tradition of print video game magazines alive, which I miss and I hope you do too. Check out readretro.com slash Kickstarter. Help them push them over their goal. Check out the magazine and uh, let them know that you heard about it here on DLC because uh, we're really glad they're sponsoring the show. Again, uh, readretro.com slash Kickstarter. Okay, uh, Zav, what is on your playlist? I've been playing that new Call of Duty jam, which I believe is called Press X to Kevin Spacey. (laughs) And... uh, is it more than that? Are you being snarky for fun? Or are you being snarky because you didn't like it? I'm being snarky for fun. I actually think it's pretty interesting. There are some very cool mechanics. It's uh, There was an interesting article. I think it was, um, gosh, it may have been Gamasutra. Forgive me if I'm wrong. But they uh, were sort of talking about how, oh, no, you know what it was? It was Polygon. I think it was uh, Colin Campbell over there wrote a, a piece about how maybe it's time to go back to World War II. Because they sort of exhausted everything that you could possibly do with the Call of Duty franchise. They've gone to the near future. They've gone to the far future. What could possibly happen next? But far, I do really future. enjoy far, far future, far flung future. It's just Daffy Duck, the shooter. Um <laughs> It's uh, I really do enjoy some of the stuff they've added to this. So it's it's these giant mechanical suits. Some of this you've seen in the Ghost Recon franchise. They've done this in the last couple of years where it's uh, they have these mechanical arms and they give the, the, the uh, characters more power. And in this game, you can jump very high. It's a little bit like Halo, but I think that it's it's pretty interesting. 
it has the same Call of Duty production values. It is, uh, I think, Christian, you wrote a tweet over the weekend that I thought was hilarious, which is uh, that the Golden Gate Bridge was specifically designed to be destroyed in movies and in video games. Um, and I think that's very true because that's what this game does very well. It blows things up and you save the world. And I think that's great. Uh, it's great filler. I think it's not a really heady game. Uh, it doesn't ask you to make really huge decisions like the series has done at least least in black ops two, where you had some decisions to make in the the campaign, but it's fun. I have a lot of fun with the game. It's silly fun though. Yeah. I think, I mean, again, as I mentioned last week, I'm not, you know, the, the call of duty expert by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I think the game's excellent. I mean, I think the single player campaign is, is really great. It is what it is, which I know is like a trite idiom or whatever, but like, you know what you're getting into. And they, there are, I won't spoil anything, but there are moments that are meant to be emotional where something doesn't go your way or whatever. And it, it falls flat. It's not as if a, a moment in it, you know, a game for me, like the last of us where something resonates and something bad happens. It's kind of like, Oh, well that thing happened. Cool. Let's go shoot some stuff or, or whatever. But like for that bubblegum action, summer blockbuster type thing, I love the fact that the narrative is focused or some of the Call of Duty's single player had lost that. Um, also, the multiplayer maps, I feel like, are tight and focused and have really fun um, kill box areas. Again, my terminology is going to be off for people that are really into competitive shooters. Um, I mean, I'm awful at the game. I'll be second to last on my team every time I play. But I think what would make this game... That means have you joked about press X to be Kevin Spacey. It, and, and that's kind of been a hallmark of the Call of Duty series for years. Um, and what I, if there's a way to do, to, to eliminate that aspect from this game, I think those, the next Call of Duty or whenever this happens could be the most amazing summer blockbuster ride ever. The problem with Call of Duty is that you're on this ride, right? And everything's awesome and whiz bang and this building falls and that boat blows up and you jump over to this car and you do that and you do that and you shoot this dude over there and you deploy this smart grenade and everything's going great. But you're never doing things because you figure out how to do it. Everything mm-hmm. is a prompt. Everything is push X to jump. It, or A, if you need to make a jump at a specific time, it's press A to jump. Push X to plant uh, mute uh, the mute bomb, which is awesome, by mm-hmm. the way. Press X to open this door. You're always the most important and least important person in the game because your person, yeah. someone's always guiding you where to go. Turn left, go over here, follow me. But then you have to be the one to plant every explosive. And <laughs> yeah. you only know where to plant it because there's a yellow icon and a a hologram little image of the bomb you're going to plant and then you hold extra press if somehow someone could marry the the awesome event of a call of duty type game with the i'm trying i tried to think of other games that do it well but they were all valve games um but like with the half-life 2 style game where you're given tools and then you're t- and then you figure out how to use them. Like at no point in Half Life Two are you sitting there with the gravity gun and it's press X to complete this physics puzzle or throw a grenade here now because you need to blow up this thing. Like you're in this world and you use the tools and the knowledge that the game has given you to then proceed and move on. And Call of Duty never does that. It's always or even another Valve example, Left 4 Dead, right? That game had, I think, great level design where it seemed vast and open, but the subtle lighting cues in the game were always pulling you towards a specific choke point where the game director wanted, or the game AI wanted you to play and fight. 
And Call of Duty never does that. If it wasn't for the yellow arrow directing you or the sergeant saying, this way, no part of the game um, subconsciously or subliminally funnels you somewhere or teaches you how to do things. It's only through prompts. And if they could somehow get rid of that aspect, man, I think it could be an incredible, incredible game. I realize what I'm saying is super hard to do, but (laughs) that's my shortcoming with the single-player Call of Duty experience is when you get into it, and then it just breaks that immersion when you push X or you do whatever, you do whatever, and it creates those eye roll moments of press X to be Kevin Spacey. (laughs) It's so ingrained in the game's culture too i mean it is that is how call of duty games have been for many many years and it might be very difficult to change that because there are people who this might be the one game they buy per year you know like a madden Uh, they look forward to the new call of duty and that's their thing so changing too much could pose a problem Um, but you know black ops 2 changed a lot and it sort of gave you decisions still had those prompts that made things very easy uh, but it's possible that they can make those decisions in the future. I think this was an important game for them to get right. And unfortunately, getting it right meant sort of getting back to its basics in terms of making things more simplistic. Ghosts was a terrible game. Call of Duty Ghosts, the last game, I thought was a very bad game. Uh, very poorly implemented. Not next-gen whatsoever, although they claimed it was up until the day it came out. This game looks much better. It performs much better. Uh, Well, it depends on the platform you're playing, I suppose. But I've had no problems uh, playing it on my PS4 for the most part. So I think it's it might be too. Do you think it's too ingrained in what Call of Duty is that they're sort of stuck? They can't make innovations like that because of the giant audience that they're sort of beholden to. Not if it's done well, right? I mean, it's not. It's obviously not going to be, again, sorry, another Valve game. It's not going to be Portal where all of a sudden you're sitting in this world and, you know, you have to figure out a puzzle to get through it. But I think it's empowering the player to feel like they're coming up with the solution. And instead of you need to bomb this thing, it's like, okay, take down this bridge. Over the course of the game, you've learned you have C4 and you learn you have a rocket launcher and then you get to go about that the best way that you see fit. I mean, Shadow of Mordor kind of does that with how you take down, you know, the bosses and move, right? It's not, you need to fight this boss and this boss and this boss. It's emergent gameplay and you get to do this, that, or the other. But then, I mean, I guess that would, the other argument that I think could work would be, um, just take the controller out of my hands completely for those instances. I'd almost rather that, like I shoot all this stuff and then I run over and then just make it a full on cutscene instead of making me push A. Like, do you think, making it that mini game is is better or worse or would it be i think for me it'd be more engrossing if they just took the control out of my hand and made it an awesome cutscene, and then i started shooting stuff again i agree with you especially in specific instances with this game if you haven't played it there is a moment very early on the one that we keep making fun of and referencing where you were at a funeral for a soldier and the prompt when you take control of your character in that situation literally says press x to mourn or pay respects press x to pay respects and you press x and then your character puts his hand on the coffin and then you're done that is the only interaction you have in that entire sequence and then you walk away from the casket or you can walk around awkwardly and stare at people as they're crying in a funeral it's very weird (laughs) and then you can walk away and then it starts a cutscene where you talk to kevin spacey that didn't need to exist. It could have just been a cutscene. I get the point. People are mourning a funeral. You don't need to put interactivity in it. It's it's extraordinarily silly. I don't know what they were thinking. And to be fair, they're not the first game that had a press Correct. a button to pay respects. 
the same thing happened in the Batman games when you go to um, Crime Alley. Yeah. Uh, when you see his family, uh, the, ch- the chalk outline that's been there for 30 years. apparently. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, they, they, to be fair, they are not the first person, the first team to do that. But it, they are, uh, they, 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 you know, it's it's one of those games or one of those uh, franchises that sort of goes too far with it. Like, you know, they don't have a lot of respect for death in games i don't feel uh because your character can get shot a million times and it doesn't affect them but at the end of the you know modern warfare 2 you get one knife thrown at you and you were down for the count because that's what the cutscene dictated so stuff like that is a little silly they don't really have a lot of respect for death um but yeah some of it is is really silly but like you said it's a popcorn action game beer and pretzels type of thing where i just like the spectacle of it and that's what makes it fun for me and, and when it dying. clicks, yeah. yeah, when it clicks and when it works, it's great. Where I think even other than press X to more in some of the cutscenes, or not the cutscenes, some of the interactivity, it's like push A to jump to do this thing or that or whatever. It, if you get it right, it's awesome and everything keeps clicking and firing. But if you miss one and you have to redo a scene three times in a row, it can become tiresome. But when this game is at its best and you're in that zone and you're just zooming around, shooting stuff, blowing up stuff, jumping off a thing, super jumping over a thing. The punch, the melee feels so good in this game. Um, it really clicks, and it, it, it is. It's a back-to-basics Call of Duty, even in the multiplayer. I know there's the new exosuits, but the maps feel more like maps that you'd expect in Call of Duty 4 or something like that. Um, and hats off to Sledgehammer for coming out of the gates. I know they obviously had help, but for coming out of the gates and making a really great Call of Duty. Yeah, I think their new development process, three years, is really going to help that franchise. Whether or yeah. not it's going to people are going to respond in kind with sales, we don't know. Um, I feel like this is was a much less explosive game when it released than you know a game that I think Activision is pushing way more is obviously Destiny. That that's their big baby now. You know, I, that sounded weird, but that's their baby. Now. <laughs> <laughs> Another big baby uh, depends how your perspective is, but yeah, so um, I'm excited for it. I'm going to check in on the uh, the phone lines here now. We got a bunch of people on the line. There's somebody from the 909 area code. Uh, what is your name? Where are you calling from? And what's on your playlist? Hey, what's up, Jeff? This is Jose. I'm actually calling from Santa Rosa, California. How's it going? And what's on my playlist? Is pretty good. Uh, my playlist is actually uh, based on how you and Christian couldn't stop gushing about it. I'm playing Sunset Overdrive. It's really, really awesome. <laughs> Well, I think that we uh, we we gushed about how much it, it disappointed us, but I'm glad I'm glad you're digging it. Um, uh, what uh, what is about it that that you particularly? Well, I'm imagining it is the uh, customizability, it is the uh, the uh, frenetic nature of the game. I think that uh, both Christian and I had 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 some issues with the tone. Zav, did you uh, ever have a chance to to try? Sunset Overdrive, uh, the final retail have not copy. Played it. No, I played oh. it at an event, uh, and I it didn't respond. I didn't respond very well to it either. Not the tone, but I, I I'm guessing that it's a game that you need to start from the beginning to sort of understand how the momentum system works. And you know how press events work. They they're like, here, this is ten hours into the game. Have fun. It's like, well, I'm gonna need a little bit of information on how this stuff works. And it didn't. They didn't provide that, so I didn't have a very good time with it. So I haven't played it yet. Christian, are you putting more time into it? Uh, I have no desire to go back to that game whatsoever, and it makes <laughs> me sad. 
I, it doesn't I mean, make any sense. Yeah. Christian, knowing you though, you really don't like open world games. You like very structured games. You like linear games. Is it an open world thing that you dislike or is there anything else about it you don't like? Well, part of it is, I mean, that's correct. I don't like the Grand Theft Auto style open world game, which is an uh, Shadow or of Red Mordor. Dead Revolver, Red Dead Redemption, sorry. Or Red Shadow of Mordor Red- you actually enjoyed. Okay. Yeah, Shadow Mordor is my current, you know, up there for the, my favorite game that I played this year. I think what I need is a strong narrative to pull me through something, and I think Mordor had that. What bothers me, and I talked about this last week a little bit, uh, what bothers me about Sunset Overdrive is they think they're being clever by making fun of tropes in open-world games, like, oh, fetch quests are the worst, brah. Go do a fetch quest. <laughs> Irony. Oh. And I'm like, you can't tell me it sucks, and then have me do it, because it does suck. Yeah. And um, and then I think the camera isn't um, the best for the momentum system they want to have. I think it tries to do a lot of great things. And for me, unfortunately, I think it fails to live up to almost all of them. If we're going to um, highlight funny tweets, so i got to highlight one, Jeff, that you dropped when the game came out. You said the, uh, the worst enemy in that game is its camera. Yeah, it's the hardest enemy to defeat, that's for sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> uh, Matt2314 in the chat room says uh, he had pretty much the same feeling as you and I, Christian, when he started over- Sunset Overdrive, but after a few more hours, it really started to work for him. So, you know, I think people, I think you can adapt to it. I just, you know, I played a lot of hours of it, to be honest with you, and it, uh, as much as I really enjoyed some aspects of it, the the design of the world, the customizability of the characters, the the weapons, uh, it just never was fun. It, I just felt like I was fighting it, and it was laughing at me <laughs> instead of laughing with me. Yeah, but, and uh, don't 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 get me wrong. Like just because I don't like the game doesn't mean you can't like it. I mean, if sure. you do like it, you're an idiot that should never play games again. <laughs> but like. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, we got uh, somebody from the uh, 407 area code on the line. What is on your playlist? What's your name, where you're calling from, and what's on your playlist? Hey, Jeff and Christian and Zav. This is Molly calling from uh, Tampa, Florida. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. What's on your playlist? Uh, so I've been playing uh, two primarily loot-based games. I'm guessing both you and Christian will approve. One is Destiny for Christian. One is the Diablo 3 on the PS4 uh, for Jeff. And uh, the one thing I will say, I don't know if you guys have tried, but share play on the PS4 works amazingly well with Diablo 3 because you can basically play a local couch co-op with a friend who doesn't even own a copy of the game. So if someone's looking to save some money, that's a good way to go. That's uh, hilarious that you bring that up because, uh, funny story, uh, Christian and I actually wanted to do that. <laughs> I couldn't find my copy of Diablo 3 uh, for PS4. I have subsequently found it, so we should we should try that again, Christian. But, um, you got to go it, all digital, bro. Ditch the I discs. do have to go all digital. It it, uh, it slid down back behind my uh, my little container that I keep all my games in. And I, I was like, we were on uh, PS4 chat on headsets. And I'm just like, where is it? Where is it? Meanwhile, Christian is playing my uh, Lords of... Just uh, dying miserably yeah. Lord of Fallen. Lords I feel like your, your PS4 Diablo 3 uh, became sentient and was trying to crawl over to your computer and be like, Jeff, you can play Diablo on your PS4. Come give me a shot, Jeff. I, I did it just like the PC version, but it only made it out of the basket. And then, you know, your wife came in and it did like the old uh, Toy Story fall back to dead. <laughs> <laughs> 
Awesome. Uh, let's do another call. We got somebody online from uh, 661 area code. Uh, what's your name, where you're calling from, and what's on your playlist? Uh, my name is Robert. I'm from Bakersfield, California. <clears throat> Excuse me, sorry. And uh, I've been playing The Elder Scrolls online. I just got back into that. Uh, and I'm actually having a lot of fun. They fix a lot of stuff with it. Tell me uh, what is different from when I stopped playing it, which I loved the game when I was playing it, but what is, what's new? Okay, so a lot of stuff they've done, they fix a lot of bugs, and they're slowly switching out. Uh, the ending progression was kind of like, uh, you know, really tedious. You would just go through other um, faction zones and do their quest that you missed because you're in your faction, and you would just get level 50, and then you'd have veteran rank and rank up from 1 to 15. Now they're transitioning over to a system called the Champion System, and when that fully comes out, it's pretty much almost exactly like the Paragon system from Diablo 3, where you're going to start unlocking stuff for not only your full account, they're taking away the veteran ranks, um, and there's going to be more like, uh, um, you know, different kind of skill trees to put in for, like, melee and agility and... and, um, uh, let's see, the one, and Magic. And then they're also, uh, so I think sometime in February, they're introducing the uh, justice system, which is you can kill NPCs, uh, but they only are dead for you. And if you start looting people, stealing from people, other players can become enforcers and start track- bounty hunting you for, for you know me- briefing other people or NPCs. That sounds really interesting. And, you know, I think it's it, it bears mentioning that all of these games that sort of make a big splash and then recede from the sort of topical conversations, you know, the games that you don't hear people talking about on shows like this, they still maintain fairly large communities. And we're seeing these games last for years and years and years. There's still a ton of people playing SWOTOR and there's still a ton of people playing, um, you know, uh, n- name your name, you know, obviously Guild Wars is doing great. Guild Wars 2 is doing great. But th- but there are these games like Elder Scrolls, which I think if you just listen to podcasts like this, would you would think it was a massive failure. These games continue to evolve. They continue to be uh, adapted to the audience that stuck with them. And I think that's awesome. You know, I really, really liked Elder Scrolls online when it came out. I think I was one of the few people that really loved it. And um, I only moved on because the sort of group of guys that I play with moved on to a different game. And I regret that. I, w- I wish I still had that community playing it because I really dug that game a lot. And I'm very happy to hear that they've continued to refine it and, and they've got you know more stuff coming and more improvements to be made. That's great. Well, here's a question, Jeff, for you and Zav. I know you guys have more experience with these types of games than I do. When games like this make those tweaks, to what extent is it successful in bringing in new players versus retaining the player base that's already there. And if it's the latter, does that then limit the amount of resources they're willing to put into something because you already know what your max potential profit is? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think the thing that works for me is if a game entices me back with an update like this, it creates a new you know funnel of word of mouth. If I go back to a thing and people ask me, like the, the caller just told us why he returned to the game that the information that he provided that might make me want to go and try it for the first time. I don't know that these updates are going to really entice people to come in for the very first time if the game missed out, but if their friends are playing it and they have a community, which is obviously the core of the MMO experience, 
that definitely could bring more people in because your friends are telling you, well, yeah, but it, it used to be this, but now all of these things are different. All of these things are fixed and I'm having a lot of fun with it. And then you have experiences like the Diablo patch comes out and you, Christian and Jeff are going to go out and play that game. So I think that that's well, really important. I've been playing almost nothing but Diablo the last couple of weeks. And uh, that's basically that. And here's the stone for me. You know, I put in over 100 hours of Diablo, what, two years ago? And now I'm back and I've almost put in 100 hours more. It, it's a completely new game. It's a, it's, a, it's a complete revamp. It's better than it ever was. And I think that there's a lot of games like that. I think, I think we're in a completely new era where games upon release aren't what... It, there's a lot of these games. There's a whole genre of games where these games aren't a reflection of what they are when they come out. They evolve, they continue to be refined and good developers can listen to their player base and know what to respond to and know what to kind of take with a grain of salt, right? Because people are going to complain about lots of different things and you have to be smart about the reactionary changes that you make because not everything is, not everything people complain about is bad. Uh, but I, you know, I was struck listening to the Diablo three BlizzCon, uh, panel when they were talking about what's coming in the next patch and literally every single complaint that my friends and I just kind of offhandedly mentioned while playing, they brought up in the panel, they addressed, you know, oh, there are going to be fewer dead ends in the randomizer. There's going to be fewer, uh, you know, the, the greater rift is going to have a little less to do with, with luck and more on skill, the pylons are going to be equally powerful. All this stuff that they're so smartly reacting to, but they're not reacting to, oh my, you know, this, this stupid gripe that I have about somebody being OP or whatever. You know, it's, it's a very delicate balance to walk and good developers do it well. Um, all right. I, you know what? I, we could keep talking about video games we're playing, but I'm so excited to talk to Zav about board games. Let's carve out some tabletop time. Right now, right now. Before we get to tabletop time, we do have one more sponsor, and that is... Backblaze. Backblaze is online backup. It's cheap. It's only five bucks a month. It's Mac native. So if you're a Mac user, it's native there, but it also works on PC. It's unlimited, unthrottled, and uncomplicated. You can easily restore one file or all your files through a web interface. It has an iOS app to access and share any of your backed up files. And version 2.5 adds email alert notifications for added peace of mind. It was founded by ex-Apple engineers, so it runs native on Macs and on Mavericks, but it also works with your PC. You get a 15-day trial with no credit card required. That's pretty cool. Just enter an email and a password and you're off. No add-ons, no gimmicks, no additional charges. Just five bucks a month per computer for unlimited, unthrottled backup. It's the simplest online backup to use. Just install it, and it does the rest. Go to uh, backblaze.com slash 5x5 now to get going. Again, that's backblaze, B-A-C-K-B-L-A-Z-E dot com slash 5x5. Zav. Sir. I'm so excited to hear you talk about, uh, you, you listed that you've been playing 
Sherlock Holmes consulting detective. After I saw the shut up and sit down review of this, I've been wanting to play it. Uh, but this is an expensive game. Did you, it is. did you, did you pay over a hundred dollars for this game? No, uh, actually I paid about $78 for direct, direct from China. I imported this game because I was so excited to play it. And if you're not familiar with the game, uh, again, the shut, shut up and sit down review also enticed me to, to pick it up. Actually, uh, what it is, it's, um, it's a series of 10 different cases. And basically it's uh, sort of like a choose your own adventure type of game in a way. So you open the first case and it gives you a description of Sherlock uh, and his crew are discussing a case and you are sort of given pieces of information. And then you have to try to figure out how to solve this case. And at the end of the, the booklet, it'll tell you how Sherlock solved it. And you sort of compare notes with Sherlock to see who did a better job of solving this case. And uh, the way that it works is you're given, like I said, pieces of information and in where the crime took place. And then you refer to this map of London and there's a directory sort of like a white pages that you flip through and look for uh, specifically where in the map these locations are. And in the booklet, you look for those locations and sort of read paragraphs or passages that either progress the case or they're dead ends. And you're marking down all of the, the steps you're taking. And at the end, you compare with Sherlock to see how well you do. I was a little concerned when I got it because I heard that because it's a deduction game and it's sort of ambiguous in terms of the information it gives you. It can be very, very difficult. In fact, this shut up and sit down guy said the first game that they played, I think they got negative 30 points. I think he said negative 65, negative 65. Okay. Yeah. Um, So Sherlock Holmes always gets 100. And at the end of the cases, there are eight questions that you can answer and you get a specific amount of points for each one of the questions you answer correctly. And then you if it takes um, Sherlock Holmes five steps or to visit five locations and it takes you six, then you have to subtract five points for every extra location you visited that he did not visit. If you go to less locations and solve the case, you get an extra five points. So my girlfriend and I played the first case. It took us two and a half hours. Uh, mm-hmm. To solve this first case. And we got 95 points. Whoa! We totally wow. killed it. It was fantastic. The game components are great. The the you know the writing is spectacular. Uh, each case comes with its own newspaper. And you read the newspaper for that day. And each subsequent case, you can refer back to older newspapers. Because it might have information for the other nine cases that are included in the box. I will say that there's not a lot of replay ability. We can never play that first case again because we've solved it. Uh, so 10, once right? there's 10 in the box, which I mean, $10 a case isn't even as much as I paid for the box. So I right. think that's going to be great in the end. We're having a lot of fun with it. We just want to bring a ton of people over and, and you can work in teams. You can work, um, as one giant team, you can work individually and try to get your own scores and you're flipping through books and you're reading passages. It's a lot of fun just trying to deduce exactly what happened and trying to figure out what leads are red herrings. You know, what, what matters, Uh, The information, like tiny little pieces of information, how the newspaper factors in. Some of that stuff is just fantastic. I I think it's such a spectacular game. It was really worth me spending uh, 80 bucks on it to import it from China, which I was worried about doing, but ended up getting in. I think it's an amazing game. Have you ever played it, Jeff? I have not. I've been dying to. Uh, This is a game that came out all the way back in 1981. So it's been around a long time. But uh, again, it wasn't on my radar radar until I saw uh, that Shut Up and Sit Down review. And uh, 
Quinns, who, who's a friend of the show, has been on the show, um, was raving about it. Just abs- like you, like you are raving about it. And as much as it seems awesome, I was still worried, as y- you said you were, that maybe you just have to have a very specific kind of person because it feels like a game that requires a lot of patience. It's not a game that's going to have a lot of fireworks, right? It's like you got to sit there and think. It's all. It's a game about thinking, mm-hmm. but. The reason I've wanted to play it so badly is that I think this is, for the first time, a product that delivers what I've always wanted out of those host a murder mystery party. You know, it's, I don't know if you've ever, ever done one of those, but I have, and we, we put on one years ago, and it's, those are fun and silly, but they, you're not able to actually sort of deduce the, there's no, there's no thrilling moment like you get at the end of a Poirot or a Sherlock Holmes mystery where everything adds up. Usually it's just a bunch of silliness and people being strange, weird characters. And then, you know, a couple of clues lead to the result. You're not actually feeling smart like you are in a game of Portal or something. You know, you're not, you're not, you know, games like Braid and Portal in the video game space make you feel smart because you put it together, right? That's what you want out of a murder mystery you want to feel like oh my god we made that connection oh my god we saw the thing and it sounds like this game delivers that it does in spades i think it is such a fantastic game and it has a lot to do with how strong the writing is because it would be very obvious in in certain writing where a line gives you a little too much information and it becomes very obvious that's a plan you need to go follow or an idea you need to explore Uh, this sort of gives you things in passing, sometimes you don't really get information or a lot of specific information until you go to the next location. Um, and it's, it's pretty forgiving. So for example, the first case you, I, you know, was interviewing a lot of people at the embassies, their, you know, German embassy, French embassy and, and scattered around London. And in a lot of cases, the people weren't home that day. Or they weren't in the office. And we thought, well, this is kind of cheap because we're going to lose points because we took a lot of steps. The great thing about it is, is the game doesn't penalize you for that. It actually tells you if you visited certain locations, these are free movements for you because it's oh, just wow. the way that it's written. So yeah. I think it's it's a lot of fun. And it's it, it did something that Portal does that you mentioned where you do have those eureka moments. And it is fun to sort of like sit back and like reconsider the facts and reread things out loud. And the two, my girlfriend and I were sort of discovering things. There's a a little bit more information or like this piece of information we got makes more sense now that we've spoken to someone else. It's just fantastic. The the game is out of print. Unfortunately, I have the Asmodee version uh, that came out a couple of years ago. It's very difficult to, to, to find, but if you can find it, it's designed by Raymond Edwards, Susan Goldberg and, uh, Gary Grady too, to give them credit. Um, you can find the original version. I don't know if it includes all 10 cases. The Mm. original version I think is on eBay for like $15. Oh really? Wow. Yeah. I don't know if it includes everything, but, uh, I think it's fantastic. And you know what, Jeff, next time we play it, I want you to come over. I, I will be there. I will be Christian there. Christian too. We'll do a whole big thing about it. We'll we'll try to discover who the next killer is in the midst of Sherlock Holmes. That sounds awesome. I mean, have you scored ninety five? Do you do you feel? Are you just a genius, or did you feel like it's... <laughs> I'm going to give it all the credit to my girlfriend on that one? <laughs> there awesome. were there were moments where I was like, we need to go there, and then we went there, and it's like this person hasn't been here in months, and like oh, yeah, you know. So uh, she, I I was looking for co op games that 
have deduction in it. You know, we really like murder mystery stuff and we really like, you know, you watch CSI and we're those people who watches law and order and say, Oh, it was that guy, you know? So it's a lot of that. And I think that's why it was so entertaining to play that game. She had a blast and it's a game that you're going to sit back. There's no board, but we pulled out notepads and we have notes upon notes of, of information that we're writing down because we wanted to make sure we got all the the stuff accurately. So I think it's fantastic. Yeah. I would like to point out that Kent Doggy Dog in the chat room said he thought you said urethra moments, but he <laughs> thinks that might just be because he has to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Christian, would you be into something like that? Or did Christian leave? He may have just left for the end of the show. Sometimes he does. Um, I want to talk about uh, you a You ask game me a question, be- and then you steamroll over me giving... You ask me a question... Then you then you make a dig at me, and then you never stop talking to let me answer the question. No, I paused. I you may not have maybe delayed, but I paused and waited, and there was nothing. And so I thought, oh, I better cover over the fact that Christian just left. (laughs) Jeff, please, for the record, no, I am not interested. It sounds horrible. What a dumb note. <laughs> I was actually way more interested, honestly, Zav, until you mentioned that you have notepads and notepads of notes. That's like the um, whole game. The whole game is just like thinking and writing stuff down and figuring out what's important and what's not important. Yeah, if you if you want more of a tabletop style game that's similar, I mean, play something like Letters from Whitechapel. I don't know if you've played that, Jeff. Yeah, I have. Which, uh, which is, you know, a lot of fun. It's a lot of like, it's a little bit like Scotland Yard, which is a classic game where you're looking for yeah. Mr. X. But this is just more of it comes in from the writing and you're sort of trying to figure out what is important information. And then you have a little quiz at the end. It is super nerdy and I love it for it. All right. I want to talk about uh, a game I played this week because it might be my favorite game I've played all year and uh, on the tabletop. And uh, it's a brand new game from... Dominic Krapuschetz and his team, uh, these are the guys that did Wits and Wagers, which is a game I have shout from the rooftops when anybody wants a recommendation for a, uh, a party game. But they've, you know, they've made party games almost exclusively there. They made, um, oh gosh, what is it, um, Say Anything and, uh, and Wits and Wagers variations and stuff. This is the first strategy game that his company has put out, and it's called Evolution. You guys have probably heard me talk about uh, one of my favorite games, Dominant Species, for a long time, which is uh, about evolution. It's about being around trying to survive the Ice Age. But that is an an extraordinarily long, intense game. I mean, uh, I think the last time I played it, it took three and a half for four hours. And it goes up from there when you add more players. Uh, It's a really awesome worker placement game. It has a really, really fantastic components that work together, the different me- mechanisms in the game. But it's just hard to get people to play it because it's such a huge undertaking. Evolution, I don't want to minimize it by saying it feels like Dominant Species Light, but it kind of does. It's got the same theme. You are st- controlling an entire species. So it's not just one animal you're creating you're you're controlling an entire uh colony of that animal the entire population of that animal and this is uh, a game where it's mostly card based but there's a lot of games like this that use cards for multiple things so the cards can be resources but they can also be uh things that you attach to your to your population to give them certain effects and they can also work as as food so basically the way the game works is you you start with a hand of cards 
cards and you start with one species and everybody throws one of their cards into the center face down to contribute to the community's food supply. And there's a number on your card that says how much food you're going to contribute. And then you're given a specific turn happens and you can play the rest of your cards uh, as many as you like. You can add those cards as modifiers to your species. So the cards have all kinds of characteristics like um, like a long neck, which gives you the ability to eat an extra food every time. Or it has climbing ability, which means it's uh, it's it's able to hide from predators. The predator has to have climbing in order to get it. has all these different functions. Each species can have up to three of those modifiers on it. Uh, or you can discard a card to create, to uh, increase the size of the population of your species or its body size, right? Which comes becomes very important because one of the modifiers that you can add to your species is to make it a carnivore. Now, by default, all of your species are herbivores and eat out of that community food that everybody threw into the center. But as soon as you turn one of your species into a carnivore, oh, 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 no longer can it eat vegetables. It must now eat other animals. And it can attack other players or you can actually add species to your own grouping and it can you can eat other of your own species if you so choose. But it's this wonderful interplay of Oh, the other thing is if if you're a carnivore and you want to eat another species, you can only eat it if you have a larger body size than it has, right? So you have to try to make your make your species larger in order to be a better predator, but you also want to make your species larger to defend against predators, and you have to decide whether or not you want to go herbivore or you want to stay carnivore. You have to look at what everybody else is doing to try to figure out, oh my gosh, I better get – uh, a defensive characteristic like a hard shell so that they can't attack me or uh, horns on my head. If they attack me, they go down in population size because a bunch of them died trying to eat me. Uh, all of these wonderful interplays of strategy that are happening between players and between your, uh, and amongst yourself because you're trying to create a species that eats as much as it can and lives for as long as it can. This game was fantastic. The the uh, rules are brief and easy to learn. We picked it up really quickly. It's not a super complicated game. It doesn't last a, a super long time. In fact, the cards that you're using are the are basically the hourglass. When you get to the bottom of the deck of cards, the game is over. So you can totally control the length of the game by limiting how many cards are in play. Uh, it, it was tons of fun and. Just all it's it's one of those wonderful tit for tat games where, oh, my gosh, this guy's doing that. So I got to do this. So I got to make my creature this. And you can while your creatures can have three traits on them at any time, you can replace a trait. So you've got this big, bad carnivore creature. And all of a sudden, nope, he's an herbivore. So the fact that you guys are all attacking each other. Now I can go and eat the food in the center. Or maybe I'm going to screw over all the other players by throwing down a negative number into the center. So we try to starve all of the plant eaters, and I can just eat the meat eaters. There's so many things at play and so many different viable strategies. We just had a blast with this game. Uh, the, the component quality is really great. They've even got these little individual – each individual player has a sack, like a um, – 
like a hemp sack almost that you put all your points into as you eat food. Uh, they didn't need to include that. That doesn't really essential, but it's just a really high component quality little added feature. They're the the starting player marker is this awesome Brontosaurus meeple that goes around the table. I don't have enough good things to say about this game. I'm super excited about it, and I can't wait to play more of it. I just think it's a great game for people that want to get into strategic board games but don't want something that's going to take forever or have so many rules that it's confusing and overwhelming when they start. Uh, it's this evolution, and um, it is from uh, Dominic Krabuschetz and uh, uh, North Star Games. North Star Games is the guys that did uh, Wits and Wagers. I just uh, had a massive monologue there. But, Zav, have you heard about this game? <laughs> I haven't heard it at all. I actually haven't even played Dominant Species yet, which I know that you've talked about uh, quite a bit even before I really got into board games. So those are both games that I would really like to to check out. Sounds sounds fun. Yeah, this is a, a theme that I really, really, really enjoy. Um, the uh, the sort of evolution and and you know working your way up and trying to create these massive, awesome armies of creatures that can then eat other people. That's really fun. All right. We're buttoning up against the, our, uh, our end time here. Cause we got a, we had a, a late start today, so I'm going to have to wrap things up there, but you'll hear me talking about more of these games. And, uh, I really appreciate you being on the show. Zav, thank you for taking the time out. We always love having you on. Thanks for having me guys. Uh, we're going to end the show with our, uh, you know, our quick parting gift. But before that, Zav, tell the people where they can see more of your stuff. Uh, well, you can go to joystick.com. You can follow me on Twitter, which is twitter.com slash XAV for all of my musings and pictures of my board game shelf that just get ridiculous over time. Cool. And uh, Christian, what are you up to this week? At Spicer on Twitter, S-P-I-C-E-R. And this Thursday is Improv versus Stand Up at UCB Franklin in Los Angeles. If you are close or nearby, it's going to be awesome uh i'm doing a set on the show along with my good friend michael costa who you have may have seen on the tonight show he has a half hour comedy central special as well and heather and miles are the improv team miles stroth who if you're reading or listening to amy poehler's new book gets a lot of love in that for his amazingness and heather ann campbell used to write for saturday night live she's currently on whose line is it anyway they are incredible uh, it's Thursday at 8 p.m. And if you're anywhere near L.A. and want to hang out, come to this show and then we'll hang out afterwards. Awesome. And I'm at Jeff Canada with two N's and one T on the Twitters. Uh, my shows, uh, We Have Concerns at WeHaveConcerns.com is a comedy show. Hope you'll check it out. And uh, the Slash Filmcast, where we're talking about Interstellar this week. So you'll definitely want to hear uh, the debate I'm sure we will get into about that movie. Uh, all right. Quick, quickly, Zev, do you have a, a parting gift for the for the folks? Yeah, I would just like to remind everyone that Halo Fest is happening tonight. And um, if you're looking for information, oh, I'll be there too. So I guess we'll see each other. Yeah, awesome. Uh, Halo 5 information is coming out today. And I, I'm sure we'll have everything there on joystick.com for you to read uh, for that. So if you're interested in Halo, Halo 5's beta starting this year in December. If you pick up the Master Chief Collection, you get an invite. So make sure to tune into joystick.com and to Twitch because I'm sure they're streaming everything this year at Halo Fest. So that should be a lot of fun. Christian, what's your parting gift? A uh, buddy of mine, Chad Cavanaugh, started his own independent little comic, and I think he has four issues out in the wild right now. It's called, um, his Twitter is at the map underscore comic, and it uh, has a little bit of a Walking Dead vibe to it, post-apocalyptic kind of guy surviving, no end in sight. 
Um, but it's great. I've really enjoyed all four issues and I love people that go out and make things and do it themselves. He writes it, uh, pencils, inks it, does everything himself. And if you like comics and like supporting indie comics and you like The Walking Dead, I think uh, you'd like checking it out. It's at the map underscore comic is the Twitter handle for it. I'm going to take this opportunity to underscore the thing I said in the Audible advertisement about traveling in space. I haven't mentioned it on the show in a while. It's the audiobook that I did. Uh, it's Stephen Paul Leva's really fun science fiction story about first contact. Uh, and you can get it for free using our promo our, our, our promo code on uh, Audible. Uh, you, should, you should check it out. I hope you guys will give it a shot because um, I'm really proud of it. Uh, traveling in space, it is called. All right, that's going to do it for this week's episode of DLC. We appreciate everybody that called in and everybody that was here in the chat room. Big thanks to Zav Damatos, Christian Spicer, our producer Zach for uh, letting us go a little later for me this week. And uh, thanks to all of you guys who are listening. We really appreciate the support. And uh, until next week, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. <laughs>